Well, I'd rather be here this morning than in any jail cell in Skingham County. <laughs> I'd just like to be where God's people are and where God's people are praising Him. He is worthy of our praise. Amen? He's worthy of our praise. I said He's worthy of our praise. Amen. I'm just glad to be with you this morning. I, uh, I was just thinking last night, this is a sidebar here, I guess, but, uh, you know, when I first got saved uh, back in 1972, uh, I got stuck in the, in the Gospel of Matthew in the 24th chapter reading about the end times. How many of you know what I mean? You just, you just were hungry to know more about that. And in the 24th chapter of Matthew, it lays out all of those things that are the signs of Christ's coming. I want you to know He's coming soon. We look out today and we see Africa being overcome by locusts. Does that sound familiar? It was in there. Uh, those swarms of locusts, I understand, are consuming every day what the entire population needs to eat. In China, we have the, the virus, 760 million people under quarantine. In Puerto Rico, an earthquake. In Zambia, drought with 70% of the grain is uh, not usable. In the U.S., we have all kinds of weird weather, floods and landslides and so forth. Australia is on fire, and uh, it just goes on and on and on. And we look at that and we compare it to what Jesus said we would see when the end times were close. And we just say, thank you, Lord, for giving us a heads up. And so what does that mean for me and for you? If we, if we actually believe that Jesus is coming soon, we need to be what? Ready. Amen? And we need to be working. And we need to be filled with His Spirit that we might be used of Him in a mighty way. And so this morning I want to share with you a message about how God prepares us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus said this. <clears throat> he said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by man. Now as Christians, we're good at remembering the good old days. Come on, I remember when. Amen? And we remember this revival, and we remember that revival, and we remember this move of God and that move of God. But we're not supposed to be looking back so much today as we're to be concentrating on what God's doing today and what He wants to do in the future. Amen? Amen? And so I want to talk to you about salt this morning. If anyone has ever come to you and said, Oh, you're just the salt of the earth. That's a compliment. Amen? Because Jesus said we were the salt of the earth. 
What's it mean? It means that we have a usefulness and that we're working in God's purpose for our life. God has a purpose and a plan for everyone in this room. You say, oh, no, not me. I just, I just sit on the third view back in the center and try to be quiet and, you know, not get in the way. No, God has a purpose for you. You, you may not have a, an administrative position or a position where you're presenting in the church, but where you work, where you live, your circle of influence, God has a purpose for you to touch those people with the gospel. That's what he has. In the ancient world, the Greeks saw salt as divine. The Romans said there's nothing more useful because salt is so pure. It's pure because it's made from the sea and the sun. Now I wonder if you'd think for a moment what people in your life have been salt for you. What people have touched you along the way and helped you to find Christ or helped you along the way in your journey with Christ? Who are the salt people in your life? Who are the salt people? Think about that. Well, Jesus said there were some qualities of salt. We want to talk about that this morning. The first one is purity. In the Old Testament, when they made the burnt sacrifices, before they put those sacrifices on the altar, they sprinkled them with salt. It was a sign of purity, a sign, uh, a sign that they were fit for God. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, we read these words. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what's it mean to be a living sacrifice? It means that I have to give God first place, amen? I've got to give Him the first fruits of everything that I do. I've got to give Him the first fruits of my service. I've got to give Him the first fruits of my prayer life. I've got to give Him the first uh, fruits of my, my testimony. He wants me to be a living and a holy sacrifice. Now, what about purity? What's, what's an example of purity? Well, the most vivid example that I can think about is Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't, sometimes we just gloss over that, all oh, the old rugged cross, beautiful rugged cross. But that man that hung on that cross was fully man and fully God. And he had suffered to the place where there was not a place on his body where he wasn't bleeding. He went through unimaginable torture and mockery and all the things that could be thrown at him. And he hung on that cross and he looked down into that crowd, some of them still mocking him, and he said, Father, forgive them. Where they don't know what they're doing. They know not what they do. 
perfect love, perfect purity, purity that's only capable or we're only capable of when we're operating in the spirit of the loving God. Amen? Well, I'll tell you what, he's not on that cross anymore. Three days later, he rose again. And he appeared to the disciples, and he walked with them, and he talked with them. And then one day, he said, I, I need to go back to the Father. And he ascended back into heaven. And this morning, Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for the saints. That's you, and that's me. Amen. Now... Yeah, praise the Lord. You know, a lot of people think they're saints. Someone's in a stained glass window somewhere. No. Uh, just, just try this tomorrow morning, will you? Humor me and try this. Look in the mirror in the morning and say good morning and use your name. Good morning, St. Sturman. Good morning, St. Jason. I'll tell you, it feels weird. Because we don't think of ourselves as saints, but God thinks of us as saints. And Jesus is making intercession for us. Amen. Hallelujah. Now I want to uh, talk a little more about this purity. And we go back to uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. And here's... Or, or, 1 Kings chapter 2, excuse me, verse 19. And uh, we read these words. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please note the situation in this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said thus saith the Lord I have healed this water from it there shall be no more death nor barrenness now there's a there's a type and a shadow and a symbol here as Elisha takes this bowl what's that bowl made out of it's made out of clay amen does that ring a bell we are clay vessels he says, bring the salt. We're putting the salt into the clay vessel. And the clay vessel is carried to the place of bitter water. And it's thrown in. And all of a sudden, the water is made pure. God puts his spirit in clay vessels. And purifies them. And empowers them. And they go out and what they touch becomes pure as well as we share a testimony. Do you get the picture? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, Elisha went on a little farther to Bethel, and Bethel had experienced, excuse me, Bethel had experienced A move of the Spirit. There had been a great move there. But time went on. And as time went on, they got farther and farther and farther and farther away from the Word of God. And the instruction of God. And uh, pretty much lost it. 
So Elisha comes into Bethel, and these 42 kids come out and begin to mock him. He said, go up, old bald head, go up. And they were making fun of the prophet of God. And finally, Elisha had had enough of it, and he turned around and he cursed them. And two she-bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 children right there. Now, that's a, that's a pretty vivid picture about God's judgment, isn't it? But God is not going to allow us to get to that place where we turn our back on him completely and go the other direction. He's going to bring judgment. America needs to know that judgment is coming if we don't see repentance. Amen? And so, the characteristics that we're seeing today is a lowering of standards. There's a lowering of standards in honesty. There's a lowering of standards in, in uh, many cases. In some cases, uh, I had a teacher tell me not very long ago, I'd like to teach the kids, but all we do is get ready for these tests that the government has to take. And they said, you know, we're, we're, just, we're just dumbing down everything just to make it easier so kids can get through. Now, that's not the case in every, in every place, but in some places that's happening. There's a lowering, lowering of standards in the diligence to work. I used to manage a tool and die shop. I had about 70, 70 men there. And we got really busy. And we had to hire some new people. And uh, there was a company in Columbus that was paring down, and, and so there was all kinds of uh, tool and die makers that were looking for work. I went through 18 people before I could find somebody that wanted to work. This one guy came in, and he had 30 years' experience, and he was a sweet old guy. Well, it seemed like he was old to me then. But anyway... <laughs> uh, I had, I had uh, customers coming in, so I said, well, here's, here's the piece of metal, here's the drawing, here's the milling machine, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to be tied up in a meeting, but you can go ahead and get started. If you need any tools, tool cribs over there, they'll help you. Got him all set up, and I went to the meeting, and I didn't get free until uh, noon. I came back out to check on him. And uh, there was the piece of metal, and there was the print, and there he was loading his pipe, stuffing his pipe. I said, uh, what, what, what's the problem? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I gave you about a three-hour job, and it doesn't look like you've touched it. He says, well, now, son, you, you can't rush these things. Well, <clears throat> I helped him close his toolbox up and helped him get rushed right to the back door and punch out. A lowering of standards. We've got to remain, if we're going to make a difference, we've got to remain pure. James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in the trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's hard to do. There's a lot of influences that want to drag us from one thing to another. I When I... When I first got saved, 
was dumber than a bucket of handles, uh, hammers <coughs> about things. And I, I didn't really have any, any dress clothes, and I certainly didn't have any suits or anything like that. And my wife said, well, you need to go get something if you're going I, I, to preach in because uh, I was appointed, uh, after a couple years, I was appointed to some little country churches. So I went up to the clothing store. Uh, her first mistake was to let me go by myself. <laughs> I, I'm just going to admit that. And so anyway, I got these light-colored uh, pants, and they had this canary yellow sport jacket. Oh, man, it was sharp. <laughs> Practically had to have sunglasses to wear it. And so here I come with this arbitrage of clothes that I bought, and she, she just about went into one. So everything was just wonderful until the first Sunday came that I needed to go and preach. And the first thing that happened was I brushed up against the side of the car. And the next thing that happened was that I brushed up the side of a pew going into the church where some kids had wiped their hands over their candy or something. And it didn't take me very long to find out that I was going to have a horrible time being unspotted in that yellow jacket. Amen? And so, you know, it's the same way in the world. We can't withdraw from the world, but we need to be, we need to remain unstained. And to do that, we've got to stay in the Word of God and stay in prayer that the Holy Spirit can continually fill us. Amen? You see, this purity comes by the presence of God. Secondly, salt is a preservative. Now, this is not as uh, talked about very much anymore, but when, when I was a kid, and by the way, when I was a kid, the Dead Sea was just sick. But <clears throat> when I was a kid, Grandma's farm, you know, uh, every once in a while we'd all go down there to, to eat together, the family, and uh, they would go out in the shed out back, and out there would be hams hanging on a string out in the shed, wrapped in burlap. And inside the burlap, there would be salt. And they kept the meat. It was a preservative. They kept the meat by salt. And they did other kinds of meat in the same way. And so salt is like a new soul. It preserves us from corruption. It has an antiseptic influence. That's what the Word of God does. Every time Satan comes in and tries to convince us that we need to go his way, we're reminded of the Word. The Word comes back to us. And when, when that Word, which is salt and power, comes into us, it changes us and keeps us and protects us. It's a preservative. And also it makes us to be a, a, an influence on others. What happens to others when you walk into the room? I went into a meeting one time and uh, this guy, this customer came in. He was kind of a rough dude. And uh, he was over there in a the corner having a chat with uh, 
some other people and he was using some language that was, wasn't very nice and all of a sudden uh, one of my engineers went over there that knew him pretty well and watch your mouth, this is a preacher. Well, <clears throat> we ought to carry the salt out where people can see it and where they know what we stand for, amen? We need to be that salt. We need to be that salt. There was a man that uh, uh, worked in a shop, and when I got out of high school, I went to work there. His name was John. And uh, there's something that was different about John. You know, a lot of the guys were telling off-color jokes and using language and all this stuff, but John never, ever spoke a word that that was was a, a bad word or a cuss word or anything like that and anything that i needed as an apprentice he's well let me help you with that let me show you how to do this and i thought boy he's different from a lot of the other guys what is it i found out in a short time that john was a christian he, he asked me one day, he said, can you, can you come home, can you follow me home after work and help me with something for a few minutes? And I said, well, what's that, John? He said, well, I've got a piece of uh, tiger stripe maple about uh, 16 inches wide and 3 inches thick and 6 feet long, and I need to get it up through the, the access into the attic, and I'm going to leave it up there to dry out and I'm going to make a muzzleloader stock out of it. So I went with him and I got to his home, found out his, his wife had been ill for a long time, met her, and we put the wood up there and it came back down and there were Bibles laying here and there and there was a bass guitar and a regular guitar and a, and a, and a, and a, and a, a full bass there. I said, oh, you play some music, do you? He said, yeah, he said, do you, do you play music? And I said, well, I peck around on a guitar a little bit. I'm not very good. He said, well, sit down there, let's. He said, do you, know, uh, uh, do you know the old rugged cross? I said, well, I've, uh, I've heard it. Those were not the songs that I'd been playing. Anyway, we, we had a little mini jam session there, and he began to share with me how much God meant in his life and how God had, had changed his life and how God gave him strength every day to get through and on and on and uh, just, just testified. He didn't, he didn't put a lot of pressure on me in any way. He just testified. It was just a sweet, loving, caring testimony. He was one of the instruments that God used to bring me to Christ because of his witness, amen? He was salt. You see, that's what he was doing. He was salt. He was, he was a clay vessel that God had put his spirit in. He was salt, amen. Well, some people think that being a Christian is no fun. But the Bible here says that salt adds flavor to life. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know that, that if you'd have been the only one in need of salvation, 
he would have allowed his son to take your place and die on Calvary just for you. That's how much he loved you. I read one of my favorite passages is Jeremiah um, 29, 11. And it says, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and hope. God wants to give you a future. He wants to give you hope because He loves you. Amen. Some people have connected Christianity with taking the flavor out of life. Uh, if, I, if I go to church, if I accept Jesus, I won't have any fun anymore. I won't be able to... Listen, the fun that I thought I was having back there is nothing, nothing compared to the joy and the peace and the fun and all of that that Jesus has poured into my life. He's given me a joy and a peace that goes beyond anything else. Oliver Wendell Holmes, a quote from him that I read the other day says, he says this, I might have entertained, or I might have entered the ministry if some of the clergy I know had not looked like undertakers. <laughs> How many undertakers we got in here? Well, People are watching. People are looking for something that will make a difference. Do they see that difference in you? Do they see it? Is the salt showing in your life? We need to remain full of joy. Galatians 2.20, Paul said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. The life that's in me now is the life of Christ. That's the salt that Jesus is talking about. Now, the last part of that, that verse says something unusual. It said, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, in the ancient times, they had ovens, probably built out of uh, clay or rock, and they were outdoors, and they would bake their bread and cook their food and so forth in there. And I did some research on that, and I found out that what they did in these ovens is that on the ground, the first thing they would do was on the ground, they would put about three or four inches of salt in there. And then they would put the tile on top of the salt. The salt did two things. It acted as the antiseptic, and it also acted as an insulator so the tiles wouldn't uh, get, get too hot and crack, and so they would bake their food. But over time, the salt would, would deteriorate. And every, every once in a while, that salt, when it wasn't doing its job and the oven wasn't working properly, they would take the tile out and they would rake all that old salt out of there and toss it in the road or toss it away. They would put new salt in, 
put new tile in and start over again with a fresh oven. That's what he was that what he said would have been a picture that they could picture right when he said it. If we become useless, it's a disaster. Let me say this to you. In the 40 years of ministry that I've walked, it has not been the bar down the street or the house of prostitution or the gambling joint or whatever that has been a great hindrance to Christianity. The hindrance has been people that are in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and their salt has lost its flavor and it's useless and other people say, well, not making much difference in their life. Why should I be interested? I'll tell you what, people need to know where we stand. People need to know who we serve. Amen? People need to know. Amen. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And you know that being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean a one-time deal. The original language actually means be continually filled with the Spirit. Every day, I need to be filled with the Spirit. Every day, because the world we live in needs to see the salt. It needs to see that flavor. We need to walk in purity. We need to preserve the integrity of the Word. We need to, to add flavor to our environment. One of, the, one of the most horrendous things that's happening in our day is that people are discarding the Word of God and saying, well, God didn't really mean that. God really didn't mean this. God really didn't mean that. Listen, if He said it, He meant it. Amen. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished. Amen? I want to ask you a question this morning. Can I ask you a personal question? Has your salt lost its flavor? Have you, have you come to the place where, you know, I, oh, I remember that first love experience, and I remember when I was so excited about Jesus, and, and, and every time the church doors were open, I was there, and I'd read my Bible every day, and I'd have a time of prayer. But here lately, you know, I just don't have so much time, and, and there's so many things in my life that have crowded all that out, and, 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 and I make it to church, you know, occasionally or, may, or pretty often, but, you know, I don't have that excitement and that burning in my heart that I used to have. Maybe your salt has lost its savor, its flavor. And what do we do if we recognize that? We ask for God's help. And it's time to take the religious tile up. And it's time to rake the old salt out and cast it away and get a new infilling of God's precious Spirit 
and put a new layer down and replace the tile and start to cook again. Amen. So as we close the service, Pastor Jason, would you come? And uh, I just want to invite you to, to search your heart this morning and say, you know what? I, yeah, my salt has lost some of its flavor. I need a fresh infilling. Or maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. Let me tell you something. I hung on to the pew for a long time. I had white knuckle syndrome. And then I just quit going to church altogether. And on a Sunday morning, 1972, I might have shared this with you. I was sitting in the pew in East Cambridge. And uh, I don't remember what the sermon was about. I don't remember the word that was preached. I was sitting there designing motor mounts on my bulletin. I was trying to get a high-performance Ford motor in a 46 Willys Jeep. No small feat, by the way. And so I'm designing motor mounts. And uh, so the service was ending, and everybody had to stand up for the closing song. And one minute, I was sitting back there, three pews back on that side. And the next minute, I was down on my knees before that altar. And I remember the prayer that I prayed that morning. I said, God, I don't know if you're real. But if you are, I've made a mess of my life. And the Lord met me right there. It's hard to explain. Something started at the top of my head and went through to my feet and came back out. And just like that, I knew I was forgiven. I knew that God cleansed my sin. What I didn't know was when I got up from that altar, I'd never take another drink. My marriage was on the rock. My, my wife was talking to a lawyer. She had a right to. I was not unfaithful to her, but I was drinking a lot. God took that away instantly. We just celebrated our 54th anniversary the other day. Because God puts salt back in the clay vessel. If your salt has lost its flavor, just come. Just talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I need a new touch. He'll meet you right here.